0: Please take your copy of God's word. Let's turn together to John chapter 7. John chapter 7 our text begins in verse 1 and extends to verse 24. This chapter is actually really tough to figure out where the dividing points are because It really takes uh, about, mm, the opening scene occurs before the Feast of Tabernacles, but really the rest of it uh, takes up a week. Uh, And the high point is going to be in verse 37, where Jesus speaks on the last day of the feast. And so trying to figure out exactly where the division is is a little bit challenging. But we're going to actually be breaking off at verse 24 because I think that phrase that Jesus has concerning judging with right judgment really does sum up the, the first section of this chapter. And then we'll look at the rest after Easter. You see, Jesus wants us to be able to see him as he actually is, to, to appraise him properly. But we really can't do that in our own strength. Uh, you know, we 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 can't come with our own reason and abilities and native intellect and rightly appraise Jesus. Uh, the apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2 uh, that the natural man doesn't discern the things of the spiritual. The of the of the word of God. These these things are spiritually discerned. They're discerned by the Spirit. It's part of the reason why uh, week by week when I come to the pulpit, I, I pray before I read the scriptures because uh, we need the illumination of the holy spirit even to understand the reading of scripture not not just to read the bible as though we can understand it oh and then we need the spirit for for when i preach oh just to be able to understand what the bible says we need the help of the holy spirit in order to judge right judgment and appraise jesus rightly so we really do need his help let's ask him for it would you join me in prayer this morning Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do come begging you of help. Um, We confess this morning that that our own native abilities, uh, the abilities that we bring as as sharp and as bright as we are, are not sufficient to be able to judge rightly, to appraise Jesus properly, to see him as he actually is and not as we wish him to be. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and that you would take these words and this word and that you would use it in our hearts and lives. As Jesus told us already in the previous chapter, his words are spirit and life. And so, Holy Spirit, we need you to use your word to give us life, real life, true, abundant, eternal life. Do that for us this day, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, John chapter 7 then, beginning in verse 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing for No one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he is a good man, others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet, for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God— or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me, because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So our family enjoys all sorts of British shows, shows that originate with the BBC. Uh, As I'm sure you know, you can stream them on all sorts of television apps like BritBox or Acorn TV. And while the rest of my family finds this particular show a little boring, one of the Shows I really enjoy the most is the British version of the Antique Roadshow. Uh, if you're familiar with the show from the American version that's on PBS, the the British version is not that different. What What makes the British version unique is all the clo- the cool places they go to, and castles and old abbeys and estate manors. It's pretty awesome to hear some of the history of these places. But but the show, like the American version, centers on the appraisal of various items by expert appraisers. And it's it's sometimes shocking what what people actually have and and what they've actually judged wrongly. Uh, On one episode, an ashtray, what was being used as an ashtray, was actually shown to be a Picasso-designed ceramic worth thousands and thousands of pounds. And conversely, what what some have reputed to have value, actually have some questions about it. There was one episode where jewels that were allegedly owned by the the Romanov family, a Russian family, where questions were raised about those jewels, or an axe that was claimed to have been used by Mallory for his 1922 expedition to Everest brought more questions than answers. And so one of the takeaways from the program is, is that appraising antiques requires a great deal of skill and knowledge. It, it's all too easy simply to look at the appearances of things and to judge things wrongly. But, but when you think about it, I mean, that's what's going on here in our passage this morning. There are various groups appraising Jesus trying to assess his value, considering whether he's true or whether he's false. And over and over, they get Jesus wrong. As he tells the crowd at the end of this section, he says in verse 24, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. In other words, you and I are all too often tempted to think that we understand who Jesus is and, and what he's come to do. But our but our sin, our life experiences, our, our commitments to our social standing or to our friend networks, they, those things cause us to see Jesus as we want him to be, not as he actually is. And so what Jesus does for us over and over again is to strip away our blinders, to confront us with reality, to force us to see him, to actually see him as he really is, as the one sent by the Father, as the one who speaks the very words of life, as the one who seeks the glory of God, not the glory of other human beings, as as the one who is our Savior and Lord and who demands complete allegiance. And when when we see Jesus this way, as he is, not as we want him to be, we're confronted with this fundamental question will we surrender to him or not will we live according to his words and ways or not will we will we actually bow the knee to jesus as he is in holy scripture so that his person and his commandments become our highest desire or will we continue to mold jesus into our own image He's, it's also hard for us, isn't it? Because we find ourselves committed to a variety of, of false appraisals of Jesus. After all, our, our passage here begins with Jesus in Galilee. It's the autumn time. Verse 2 tells you that uh, that it's now the time of the of the Jews' Feast of Booze, or, or the Feast of the Tabernacles. You can read about that festival in, in Leviticus 23 or Deuteronomy chapter 16. But the Feast of the Tabernacles was, was to happen about six months after Passover. Passover is a spring festival which puts the Feast of the Booze or the Feast of the Tabernacles in the fall, late September, early October. It was a time in which God's people were to gather together... And to come into Jerusalem and live in temporary dwellings, in, in little tabernacles or booths. Probably the, the our closest equivalent would be tents. To, to live in tents, why were they to do that? Well, it was to remind them what life was like for them as they made their way from Egypt through the wilderness over 40 years to the promised land. To remind them that they were a pilgrim people. To remind them that, that God was their ever-present help in time of trouble. It was a, a festival of rejoicing. One that drew people from all over Palestine. They would make their way to Jerusalem. And that's the context in which we find our first false appraisal of Jesus. That, that he's really a, a platform builder. I mean, somewhat shockingly, this, this false appraisal comes from his family members. This is the first time here in chapter 7 where members of Jesus' family are mentioned since John chapter 2. Remember John chapter 2, the wedding feast at Cana, that's where his mother Mary shows up. Here it's his siblings. And one would have thought that if, if anyone knew Jesus, if anyone understood him and understood his mission, it would have been those closest to him. After all, Jesus grew up with these people. He worked beside them. He shared meals with them. Surely his siblings, his brothers and sisters, would have gotten who Jesus actually is and what he came to do. But instead, instead they wrongly appraised Jesus. You see in verse 3, So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. What do they think Jesus is about? Building his platform. Developing his brand. Drawing the crowds to himself. Gaining market share. Showing himself to the world. And so what do they say to him? Jesus, listen. If you want to build your platform, if you want to attract others, you're going about it a completely the wrong way. You're here in Capernaum, in Galilee, in a cultural and political backwater. Friend, if you want to make it big, brother, you got to go to Judea. You got to go to Jerusalem now with all of Israel there for the festival. You got to show yourself to the world and do these signs so that you might build your platform. Now, on the one hand, their council makes sense if Jesus were a platform builder. If he wanted to grow his number of disciples, he would would need to do the work, wouldn't he? He would need to find the most influential people. He would need to pull them into his network, make sure they're on his team, do his miracles in front of them, so that he would gain their support and so grow his social capital to bring more people in. But their counsel and their appraisal demonstrates they've completely misunderstood Jesus. And verse 5 tells you why. You see it? Not even his brothers believed in him. Not even his brothers, those who had greatest proximity to him, appraised Jesus rightly and believed in him. Listen to me. Proximity to Jesus doesn't mean you understand Jesus. Proximity to Jesus doesn't mean you believe in him. It doesn't mean you're, you're saved. You, you could have grown up in the church and been around all sorts of Christian people. Maybe your parents are believers in Jesus Christ. Maybe you had family worship every night. You have multiple Bibles on your shelf. And you have had proximity to Jesus all of your life. Just because you have proximity to Jesus doesn't mean you've appraised Jesus rightly. It's entirely possible to be near Jesus and shape him into your own image. To think that Jesus really is about building a platform or gaining power, or gaining influence, or drawing people into your network, utilizing your social capital, so that so that Jesus becomes the way you want him to be, not the way he actually is. You see, that's, that's what his brothers thought he was about. They had proximity to him, but they had a, an utterly false pret- appraisal of who Jesus really was and what he came to do. But there's a second false appraisal here, not just that Jesus is a platform builder. Well, the second false appraisal is that he was an unlearned sage. As you work your way through the passage, we have to confess that verses eight to ten are a little confusing for us. You may want to look at them. Look at verse eight. Jesus is speaking to his brothers, and he says, "You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time is not yet fully come." After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But verse ten. After his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. As I say, that's a little confusing. First, it appears that Jesus is saying, I'm not going to the feast. I'm not going, and I'm not going at all. I'm going to stay here in Galilee. You go up to the feast. And then he either didn't tell the truth, or he's fickle and he changed his mind and went up to the feast, but he didn't go publicly, he went in private or secretly. So we have to ask the question: what's going on here? What do these verses mean? Well, we're not exactly sure, but but I think perhaps what what Jesus is doing here is he's telling his family members, I'm not going up to the feast with you. After all, his brothers want to for him to show himself, to do his miracles, to build his platform. and, And perhaps Jesus is concerned that if he goes up with his family to the feast, that they might try to manipulate him in some way, to use him to, to gain power for themselves, perhaps. And so they go up. He says, I'm not going up, meaning I'm not going up with you. And after they go, then he goes. I, I think that's what verse 10 is getting at. After his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but privately. And so I, I think perhaps Jesus is going up uh, privately, separately from his brothers, so that, so that he might be participating in the feast, but not with his brothers, so that they might use him. Of course, there's lots of folks looking for Jesus. They're, they're seeking to appraise him, to maybe even to seize him or, or kill him. And as they're looking for him, at the midpoint of the feast, day three, day four, in this eight-day festival, Jesus is going to stand up to teach. You see that in verse 14. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple, and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he's never studied?" In the previous verses, you can see there that the Jews are divided over Jesus. They're trying to appraise him. Some say, oh, he's a good man. The others say, no, he's an imposter. Oh, you can't trust him. He's trying to actually gain something for himself. They're utterly divided. But But when Jesus begins to teach... How do the Jews appraise him? Well, they appraise him as an unlearned sage. I mean, they clearly see that Jesus is a wise teacher. This man has learning, they say. But they also check his credentials. And they ask, how can this this man be a sage when he's never studied? When he didn't go to our universities. He didn't go to the right seminaries. He didn't sit with the right teachers. He didn't read the right books. And because of this, the Jews appraised Jesus wrongly. But friends, we we do the same thing in our own day. If this afternoon you were to go over to novel bookstore and wander over to the religion section, there will be book after book after book that evaluates Jesus as though he's simply a life coach or as a wisdom teacher. Those who will tell you that Jesus really is about you having your best life now and here's the principles that he gives you in order to achieve a good way of living in the present. Or or others who, who actually don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but but really just a prophet, just a wisdom teacher, just a sage. It's, it's not all that different today, is it? That people can come to hear the teaching of Jesus and they they misunderstand it, they misappraise it. They begin to see Jesus as they want him to be, not as he actually is. I would how it is for the Jews. They, they can't appraise Jesus rightly because they're looking at his appearance. They see him as a human being or as, as a Galilean or as an unstudied sage, and they don't realize what we have learned already in John's gospel. This is the word became flesh. This is God in human form. This is no unlearned sage. This is God himself, the one and only. But there's one other false appraisal here. Uh, Not simply that Jesus is a platform builder, an unlearned sage. There are some who appraise him as a dangerous foe. Uh, We heard that already in John's gospel, back in chapter 5, verse 18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. And at the beginning of this chapter, chapter 7, verse 1, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. And because the Jews were seeking to kill him, the entire atmosphere is one of fear and suspicion. Verse 13 tells you that for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. And yet when Jesus confronts the Jews with this fact that they are they see him as a dangerous foe and they're trying to seize and kill him, the crowd responds with mocking. You see it in verse 20, the crowd answered, you have a demon who is seeking to kill you. Well, Some have appraised Jesus as a dangerous foe. And, of course, there is a sense in which Jesus is a dangerous foe. He's determined to strip away all of your idols. He's determined to strip away your power and your reputation and your strength. And he's, he's willing to do that, to appear to be a dangerous foe in order to bring you to himself. Jesus will strip away every barrier, every idol, every claim that you have for yourself so that you might know him. And because Jesus is so determined to do this, we, we see this as an attack on us. And so we, we want to push Jesus away, don't we? We want to kill him off somehow to, to somehow lessen him as a factor in our lives by, by putting him on the shelf or putting him out of mind or, or pulling Jesus out only when he's convenient for us, but not actually bowing the knee to him. You see, we think that Jesus is dangerous. We think that Jesus, because he's trying to take away all of our idols and all of our props to bring us to himself, we think he's trying to harm us. But listen, Jesus only does that work in your life because he loves you. And he knows that the the very thing you need is nothing less than himself. And we see Jesus' word in our lives in this way. And we see him as a dangerous foe. It's one of several false appraisals that this passage points us to. Jesus doesn't want us to stay here. He's challenged us. Do not judge by appearances. Rather judge with right judgment, appraise rightly, make true appraisals. And this passage helps us. So I ask you this morning, what is the right appraisal? What's the true appraisal that Jesus wants us to come to concerning who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do? Well, it starts with recognizing that Jesus was sent. Do you see that? It's actually in verse 16. Look at it. Jesus says Jesus answered them, "My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me." Now, there's a lot packed in this little verse. We're going to pick up some of the rest of it here in a minute. I just want you to focus on that second clause. Jesus is the one who was sent, and the question that you should be asking and saying that is, "Okay, by whom was Jesus sent?" And the answer, of course, is that Jesus was sent by God the Father. Jesus was sent by God the Father for a mission. We've heard that over and over again in John's gospel. For example, John chapter 3, verse 17. God did not send his son into the world in order to condemn the world, but God did send his son into the world in order that the world might be saved through him. John 3, 34. He whom God has sent utters the words of God for he gives the spirit without measure. John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Did you hear it? Over and again, Chapter 3, 4, 5. Now again in chapter 7. Jesus is the one who has been sent, and he's been sent by the Father for a particular mission, namely to speak God's word. That's the rest of verse 16. Look at it again. So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Verse 17. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Do you see? Jesus doesn't come with his own words. No, the words that he speaks, the words that that are life itself, they're God's words. This is God's teaching, God's will. Jesus is the one sent by the Father to speak the words of life to those who would hear him. And, and those who are willing to hear Jesus' words as God's words will know that he speaks with God's own authority because he's God's own self. He's the word that came flesh. And he's been sent by God to speak God's words of eternal life to us. And as he speaks these words of eternal life to us, he is seeking God's glory. That's the rest of what Jesus says, the, the main point of what he's saying here. Verse 18. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him, there is no falsehood. You see, Jesus is the one who seeks God's glory, which means that he is in fact true there in him there is no falsehood there's no game there's no scheme he's not trying to manipulate you or me he's not trying to build a platform somehow by by trying to rely upon your goodwill and bring you into his circle no he's been sent by God to speak God's words of life so that God might be glorified and what are those words of life what is Jesus's teaching well we've already heard it in the previous chapter Jesus came to die a violent death, to have his flesh torn like bread and to have his blood spilt like drink so that sinners like you and me might eat his flesh and drink his blood. And remember, eating here is believing so that we're receiving his death as our own. We're resting upon it and relying upon it completely and utterly to the uttermost because that is the only hope that we have for this life and the life to come. Jesus came so that sinners like you and me, through his violent death, we might have our sins forgiven and we might have life real life, abundant and eternal life. Friends, Jesus didn't come to build a platform, he didn't come to draw a crowd listening to his wisdom, he didn't come to gain power or influence. Listen to me, Jesus Christ came to save sinners. That's why he came. He came to save you from you. So that you might know real life, and you might be made into new men and new women who would live differently, who would love Jesus and love what Jesus loves and love whom Jesus loves. Sometimes there's been questions over the past five years about what that those phrases mean on the front of your bulletin: a new people, a new Memphis. This is what it means. That you and I truly believe with all of our hearts that Jesus saves sinners. And he makes us new. And then he sends us out into this world to love people in Jesus' name by telling them about Jesus and living the Jesus life before them. That's why Jesus came. That's, That's the true appraisal of Jesus that you have right here in John's Gospel. And so the question for you is simply this. Are you willing to set aside your false appraisals? Are you willing to have your idols torn down, stripped away, so that whatever it takes, so that you might have Jesus, you might rest in him with your whole being and rely upon him moment by moment, hour by hour, so that his mind is your mind? Is that your desire? that you would see Him and appraise Him in just this way. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, we long for the mind of Christ to be ours. It's what we're going to sing. May the mind of Christ, my Savior, dwell in me from day by day. Lord, please, uh, we desire you. Look into our hearts, Lord, and please see what is true, put there by your Spirit, that we desire you with our whole being. And Lord, please, whatever it takes, help us to, to have all of our false appraisals stripped away so that we might see you as you actually are and what you've come to do. Lord, make us new people. May we lean into this place knowing that we are sent as Jesus' ambassadors. To love what Jesus loves and to love whom Jesus loves. Lord, please grant us this. We ask you to do this in us and through us and for us. In Jesus' name, amen.